0: Alright, we are in the last week of our series in the Gospel of John, okay? So it's, it's been a long time that we've been in this series, of the Gospel of John. In fact, when we first started the Gospel of John, it was August of 2020, Okay. In our defense, we did a few other series in between. We kind of broke up the Gospel of John into five different parts, and often between the different parts, we would do some other kind of series. We went through another book of the Bible, we went through another series. And so, but it's been, it, when we started the Gospel of John, it was August of 2020. And today is the last week that we'll be in the Gospel of John here uh, it, during our worship gatherings. And as I reflected back, <laughs> to August of 2020, I realized my life is really different now than it was then. If I look back to our church's life in August of 2020, to our church's life now, our church's life is really different now than it was then. In August of 2020, when we started this series in the Gospel of John, we were meeting outside. Do you guys remember that? It was super fun when the wind would come and blow the communion down the parking lot. And neighbors would call any time we used the drums, and the police would come. It was a great time outside. We were meeting outside. Uh, In August of 2020, I wasn't the main preacher here. Vince was the main preacher here. I wasn't the main preacher here. In August of 2020, I lived in a different home. I lived in a different neighborhood even. So for me, as I look back to August of 2020, I look at my life then, and I look at it now, I realize so much has changed in my life. I'm a different person emotionally, I'm a different person spiritually, I'm a different person professionally. Like there, there have been so many things that have changed in my life as we've walked through the gospel of John. And my guess is that's true for a, pretty much everybody in here as well. And the reason I bring that up is because I think that's a good parallel to what I hope has happened to us as we've gone through the gospel of John. I hope that as we've gone through the gospel of John, that God's word has not left us the same. I think an encounter with God's word for us as disciples of Jesus, and even those that wouldn't say they're a disciple of Jesus, it should not leave us the same. And so as we've deliberately walked through the gospel of John, looking at each and every story, looking at all of these teachings of Jesus, I hope it hasn't left us the same. I hope that that we love Jesus more deeply. I hope we know him more fully. I hope that even how we work, our vocations, looks differently than it did in August of 2020. I hope that we understand our emotions and our inner lives better than we used to in August of 2020. I hope that we even understand our identity as disciples and followers of Jesus differently now than we did in August of 2020. Because I believe the gospel of John should have changed us. I've I've loved going through this book. It's one of my favorite books in the Bible. I come back to it time and time and time again. And so I'm feeling a little bit... Uh, I don't know if nostalgic is the right word, but I'm feeling a little bit the weight of leaving this book that I love, this book that I feel like has, has done some good things to us. And so I want this book to speak to our hearts at least one more time today as we go through these last five verses in the Gospel of John. And so here's what we're going to do today because... I, um, Because I miss being in the Gospel of John, we're going to kind of do a few different things. So the first thing is, we're going to go through this passage together, and then we're going to look at this command that Jesus gives. It's the last command that Jesus gives in the Gospel of John. And we're going to look at that command and listen to it ourselves. And then, because... I didn't get to spend as much time on a couple different topics as, as I would have liked in the Gospel of John. I'm going to circle back to two different things, two different big ideas in the Gospel of John and spend a little bit more time reflecting with you guys on those ideas because we're probably not going to be in here on a Sunday morning, maybe in, for the rest of my life, in the Gospel of John, okay? And so, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to listen to this last command of Jesus and then we're going to look at two things that we've already kind of talked about in the Gospel of John, but I wanted to spend a little bit more time on, okay? Does that make sense? All right, let's hop into it. Uh, to recap where we were last week, We've, we were in the midst of John chapter 21. You can turn there if you have your Bibles, and Peter and, and some of the other disciples run into Jesus, and they eat together, and they have this time where Jesus restores Peter. Peter had denied Jesus Three times as Jesus was headed to the cross, and it seems Jesus even witnessed part of that. And then, Uh, Now, what we saw last week is that that Jesus gives Peter a a redeeming moment where Peter gets to proclaim his love for Jesus three different times. Jesus restores Peter. Jesus doesn't leave Peter wondering for the rest of his life if he can be found in Christ, if he could follow Christ. He gives Peter opportunity to be restored. And so it was this beautiful story that that's where we ended up. And even Jesus let Peter know, hey, where you're headed is imprisonment. Where you're headed is people are probably going to kill you. Like you won't even dress yourself. You won't even guide yourself because of the sort of imprisonment you're headed to. And so that's where we left off last week. And so we will hop into verse 20 of chapter 21 of John. And you guys know me. I like to stop at a, couple, a few times as we go through a passage. So I'll, I'll do that as well here. So verse 20 says this. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Let's pause there for a second. So Peter was just told, hey, uh, by Jesus, hey, you're going to be in prison. You're headed towards imprisonment. You're head, like the way, your path of following me is going to end up in death, is essentially what Jesus was insinuating to Peter. And Peter, who's hanging out with who I think is John, although, again, there's some debate about if this is John or not, but Peter is hanging out, and John's right there, and Peter goes, well, what, about, what about John? Is he, is he going to die? To, like, what's going to happen with him? Like, what's going to happen? And, and Jesus just goes, Peter, Peter, Stop worrying about him. Don't, don't worry about him. And Jesus even has a little bit, it sounds like sarcasm to me, which makes me a little hopeful that there is a holy place for sarcasm. All right? I, I haven't mastered it yet. Uh, you can ask my wife. I definitely have not mastered it yet, but uh, it gives me hope for myself one day. And so then Jesus says, Peter, stop worrying about him. You follow me. You follow me. Okay? Let's keep going. In the text, uh, verse 23. So the saying spread among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who's bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Let's pause there really quick. So whomever Peter was referring to, again, there's, there is strong evidence, even in just church tra- tradition alone, but even within the Gospel of John, that this is John. Uh, whoever, whoever said this, though, that's the one who wrote this book. And he's, I think he's trying to say, listen, this is true. You can come talk to me. I'm a witness to these things. Like John isn't just writing a fun little book, a fun little story. Like he's trying to say, these things happened. I want you to believe them. And then he also, this is just, this is just extra. This isn't even really part of my sermon. He gives us a helpful hermeneutic for interpreting the Bible. A hermeneutic is a way you understand, a way you interpret the Bible. And so he gives us a helpful way to interpret the Bible here. He, he, he says, like, look, because Jesus said, hey, who can... What if, like, what if I keep them around, like, till I return? What is that to you, right? People took that, and they ran with it, and they said, John's going to live forever. Like, John's going to keep living until Jesus returns because of what Jesus said to Peter. And John helps clarify, and he goes, no, no, guys, that's not what Jesus said. He just said, what is it to you? Like, I think John's trying to say, Jesus was using some holy sarcasm there, guys. And so it's a helpful thing for us to to see there in interpreting the Bible because sometimes I think we take Jesus' words and we make them say something he's not saying. We interpret his words to say something ridiculous that he is not saying that were other things he said would clearly show that he's not saying that. And so that's just helpful there. And then let's read 25, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says this, Now... There are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Now John, when he wrote this gospel, when he wrote this account of Jesus' life, he, it was probably the, the fourth. Like Matthew, Mark, and Luke were probably already written. They were already in circulation. And so John is writing this much later than, all, than those books, and I think what he's saying here is, listen, we could keep on writing about Jesus. Even though there's three books and now a fourth, we could keep writing all of these things that Jesus did. Not even the books in the world could contain what Jesus said. At that, and you got to remember at that time, there wasn't a lot of books out there. But still, I just love this picture that John gives us. He just goes, Jesus is even bigger than what these books show. Jesus has done even more than what we've said. And again, he's, he, I think he's hearkening back to the fact that there's all these witnesses to what Jesus has done. So, here, here's what I want to do. I want to look at that command, and then I want to look at those two things from the Gospel of John itself. So let's first look at this last command of Jesus. This last command he gives to Peter specifically. He says to Peter, you follow me. Now what we know about John as we've gone through the Gospel of John is he is really intentional about what he's writing. He 's writing true things that happened, but he has an intent behind those things he wants you to see certain things about Jesus he wants you to live in certain ways like repentance and in this moment when he's writing down in his gospel the last thing Jesus commanded as being "You follow me he's not just writing it down because that's what Peter said even though that it, or that's what he said to Peter, even though that is what Jesus said to peter he's writing it down because he wants us the reader or the listener to hear it and think, I've got to follow Jesus now. He wants us to hear Jesus's command, you follow me. So let's together listen to this command that Jesus gave to Peter and really to all of us to follow him. Let's let's nuance that. Let's look at some of the different things we can hear from what Jesus is saying to Peter in this moment. I think the first thing That Jesus is saying to Peter in this moment is, Peter, stop comparing and start following me. Stop comparing your walk with John's walk and start focusing on your walk. Start following me. So much, I think, of when I've been in the church and I talk to people about their relationship with God, so much of their relationship with God is focused on other people's relationship with God, going, well, this person, God's done this, or this person has that, or that. And I think that Jesus would say to us, stop that comparing. You follow me. I know you're going, not me, Anthony. I'm not like that. Right? You've never heard a really good sermon and thought, man, my wife needs to hear that. <laughs> no, nobody's done that. Nobody's often uh, gone to the Bible or prayed and said, man, I wish I could read the Bible like that person. or I wish I could pray like that person. None of us have done that. None of us have gone, well, I just don't, I can't read it or pray the way other people can. None of us has often looked at someone and looked at the good gifts that God has given them and gone, God, why haven't you given me those good gifts? Why don't I have a beautiful spouse? That person's even ugly and they got a beautiful spouse. Like, none of us, none of you are ugly. It's just a joke. Um, None of us have ever done that sort of comparing. But hypothetically, hypothetically, if we do in our walk with Jesus... What Jesus says to Peter here is really important for us to listen to. We are comparison masters. And Jesus is telling Peter, stop the comparing and start the following of me. Okay? Another way we need to listen to this command that Jesus is saying to Peter, you follow me, is I think what Jesus is saying to Peter is, hey, your following of me is going to look different than his following of me at times. You and I need to hear this, that each of our walks with God, although we are united because we are only the body of Christ together and we are not the body without each other, what we do still need to hear is our walks following Jesus will look different at times. Jesus will lead some of us into different scenarios of following him than he leads others into. There is a path Jesus is leading you down and that's what it means for you to follow Jesus. And it's not going to, your path not going to always look the same as someone else's path. And Peter needed to hear that and I think we need to hear that. Another way we need to hear this command of Jesus saying, you follow me. Is I think John is inviting all of us to take all that we've heard from the gospel of John. Listen to it. Believe it. And trust ourselves to Jesus. Live as set ones and follow Jesus right now. I think John is saying, even though Jesus has gone to be with the Father, we still follow him. Even though we can't see him with our eyes, we still follow him. This is what disciples of Jesus do. We follow Jesus. In your life, what is following Jesus? What ways of love is God leading you into? What ways of senseness, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, is Jesus sending you into? How is the Holy Spirit guiding you to live as a disciple of Jesus, following Jesus? Do you think through the specifics of your daily life as an opportunity to follow Jesus in those moments? In the day-to-day mundane things of life, do you say to yourself, how do I follow Jesus in this? I think what John would be saying to us is, you follow me. We are disciples in all of the moments of our life. This is what we do. We follow Jesus even though we can't see him. The gospel of John has invited us into following Jesus. And I think we are called as his church to follow Jesus, to look at him as our rabbi leading us into life and go behind him and follow him. So do you follow Jesus or do you just watch him on Sundays when Jester Anthony Preacher talks about him? John is saying, this isn't a watching party anymore. It's a following party. You Follow him. We follow him. This is, this is fundamental to our identity as disciples of Jesus. We're not just watching Jesus anymore. We're now following him into the world. Take that on, church. Remember that. My throat is dry. I'm taking like 15 allergy pills every morning. So I think the way those pills work is they just say, let's take all of the liquid out of his ears, nose, throat. You follow me, church. The last command that John writes in his gospel that Jesus gives, li- listen to it well. Hear it where you need to hear it. Okay? All right. Now I want to move into those two things that I mentioned before. Where, I, where Since this is our last time in the Gospel of John, I want to spend uh, a few minutes talking about two different things that we have touched on in the Gospel of John. But I don't know if I got to spend as much time on those things as I would have liked. Okay? And so let's talk about those two things. The first thing is this. I wish we could have spent more time on Jesus's I am statements throughout the Gospel of John. He makes these I am statements all throughout the Gospel of John. He makes a couple of these I am statements as if to say, hey, I am Yahweh. I am the God of the Old Testament connecting himself to the God of the Old Testament. And so Jesus makes a couple of those. But then there's these seven other I am statements that Jesus makes. And these have become become so intriguing to me over the last few months. Because here we have seven statements where Jesus is saying, here's who I am. You're wondering who I am? You're wondering the sort of God that I am? You're wondering the sort of being that I am? Here's who I am. And he makes these seven statements that have just been kind of, Not haunting me, but coming to my mind over and over again the last few months. And so I want to just briefly read those seven statements. You can find these, I think they start in John 6 and they end in John 15 verse 1. But let me read through these really quick. The first thing Jesus says is, I am the bread of life. The second thing he says is, I am the light of the world. Then he says, I am the sheep gate that leads to pasture and protection. He also says, I am the good shepherd. Then he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. And then Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then the last statement he makes is saying, I am the true vine. A few, a few months ago, as I realized we're going to be wrapping up this book, these verses, like I said, they began to stick out to me. And these verses became my prayer for us. My prayer, beca- my prayer for our church was, God, please help us to see these things about you. God, help us to attach ourselves to these things. Help us to experience these things. Help us to know these things about you. Help us to know deep in our bones that these things are true about you, Jesus. And I began to pray that for us off and on. God, help us to see these things. And the reason these things stood stood out to me is because Jesus is standing here throughout the Gospel of John, and he's saying, I'm life. Everything you want out of life, everything you desire, everything you need, I'm it. I have it. You can find those things in me. That's a big deal, church. Church. Jesus is not just getting up and saying some random religious things. He's saying, listen, I'm life. I'm what you want. I'm what you need. I'm what everyone wants. I'm what everyone needs. You can only find true life in me. If you look at all those statements, they are all statements of Jesus saying, there is some aspect of life that you want. I have it That's what Jesus is saying to us, and so this became my prayer for us, that we would understand these things more truly deep in our bones. He has life. He has everything you want out of life. Everything you need out of life, He has it. Are you hungry or thirsty for something? He can satisfy every hunger and thirst that you have. Do you feel like the the darkness of this world has consumed you at times? Jesus has the light so you can live life the way you were meant to. Do you not feel taken care of or loved by anyone in this world? He is the shepherd and the gate of love and care. Does the weighty death, death and, and suffering of this world cause you agony and depression? He is the resurrection and the life. Maybe you don't know what road to take in life. Jesus is the way to all reality and purpose for us. Maybe you don't feel like you have a good source to sustain you and fuel you in life. Jesus is the true vine that can fuel you and sustain you. Church, I do not want us to miss these I am statements. It can be easy to gloss over what Jesus is saying here. But what he is saying here is a big deal. He's not saying this lightly, he's not saying it tritely, he's not just giving some religious platitudes. Jesus is giving us a clue into who he is, into his true nature, into what we need. If your vision of Jesus doesn't include him as all this kind of life, you're missing out If your vision of Jesus doesn't include these I am statements he makes about himself, you're missing out. If your pursuit of Jesus isn't trying to find these things in him, you're missing out. Jesus has life. He is the life. He is the resurrection and the life. This is so important to me that we get this, that we understand this. Like I said, I've been praying. I've been praying, God, please. Like sometimes, church, I'll be honest. I'm sitting with you and I'm like, I can't give you anything. What I have is not enough. I can't help you. And in in those prayers of desperation, I'm just going, God, give them your life. You have a life I can't give them for some reason. I want this first church. This is what Jesus has. And a lot of those statements, he says, come to me and find these things. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to do the weird Pastor Anthony thing. I'm going to make you guys pray right now. I want us to actually pray for this. I'm not going to make you pray pray in groups so your anxiety can calm down a little bit. But I want to take a couple minutes just silently. And it's going to be silent. And for some of us, that's awkward and weird. But it really probably shouldn't be. But I'm going to just take a couple minutes in silence. I want you to pray, but I don't want you to pray for yourself. I want you to see someone in this room. I want you to pray for them. I want you to pray through these. In fact, Maddie, if you could put up the seven statements again, if you don't mind. I want you to look at these. I want you to say, hey, whomever you're praying for, I want you to say, let this person see these things about you, Jesus. Let this, let this person find these things in you, Jesus. Jesus. And spend some time praying that they would be refreshed in these ways. And and that these things would be even more tangible. Not just ideas about Jesus. But a reality that they can see and understand and know. Okay, so I'm going to have you pray. Does that make sense? Or take a couple minutes in silence and pray. And then I'll come back and finish the rest of the sermon. God may we all see that you are life. God, you know who's desperate for you in here. You, you know who, who's desperate in here, who even is reading through these and going, "God, I don't I've never experienced that. I've never known that to be true about you. God, will you make it true for them? Will We do something? Will you have mercy on us? God help us know these truths about you deep in our bones our life, we need it. We love you, Lord. Amen. Thanks for praying with me for a couple minutes, doing this weird thing that I make you guys do sometimes, but there's just there's something significant about when we pray together. And this shouldn't be a weird place for us to pray together sometimes. And so I, I just and I, I just so desperately want us as a church to find life in Jesus. There's all sorts of things we can find life in, but they pale in comparison to the sort of life Jesus can give us. And so uh, these I am statements have been sticking out to me the last few months because I just want us to see that this is who Jesus presents himself as. All right. There's one other thing from the Gospel of John that I want to reflect on you with and spend some more time on, And, and it's this. It's that we are now feet washers. We're now feet washers. John 13 shows this beautiful scene with Jesus and the disciples. And when we went through it, we noted how slow and deliberate the scene was because John probably remembered the great care and love that Jesus took to wash their feet and to love them in that way. And what we see in that scene is after Jesus washes their feet, he says to them, now you are called to love the way I just loved you. You are called to go out and love the way I just loved you. Which means that if you're a disciple of Jesus, you are now a foot washer. That that's part of the way in which we love. And if you want to kind of unpack even just that idea out a bit more, you can go back and listen to the sermon. But quickly, since we don't have feet washing in our day, what Jesus is telling all of us is that no matter where we are as disciples of Jesus, we should be probably loving in the culturally equivalent ways of foot washing. Which means we should be loving by lowering ourselves, moving in close, dirtying ourselves, and serving people. That's what foot washing is. It's lowering, it's serving, it's dirtying, it's moving in close. And we, as disciples of Jesus, according to John 13, we are now foot washers. Which again, this was an extreme thing to do. This is something that that nobody really was doing. When I've done the work and looking at who was doing the feet washing, they they say, maybe servants were, maybe slaves were, maybe only the lowest of the low, but even then I think that was uncommon. And yet, Jesus, who had been the rabbi of these knuckleheads for the last three years, says, I will lower myself, moving close, dirty myself, in order to love you through serving you, church, you and I are called to be feet washers in the same way. We are called to love the world. We are called to love each other by becoming feet washers. We are called to love the way Jesus has loved us, which he shows us in John 13. And so here, I wanna do, so, I wanna scandalize you guys for a little bit, okay? Can I scandalize you guys for a little bit? You're going, I'm not going to agree until I know what it is. Okay, I, I know it sounds funny, but I, I'm going to show some art here in a minute. It's from this artist, Jessica Bond, a Catholic artist who's been depicting these scenes of, of Jesus washing various people's feet. And I, I've been, when I've gone through this art online, I've been really struck by it. I found that in my own heart, it scandalized me. In my own heart, I go, I don't know if Jesus would do that. I don't know. I don't know if I'd want to. There's been some pictures that make me more uncomfortable than other pictures. There's been some pictures that even kind of make me have this like religious flinch, like, no way, that's not possible. And so here's the deal. I'm going to show some of these pictures. We're going to go through these pictures together as an exercise in trying to see where we might not... Be willing to wash someone's feet, right? We all talk about this foot-washing stuff, and we, it's kind of almost like a religious platitude for us. But will we put our hands to everyone's feet for real, whatever the culturally equivalent version of love is? And so we're going to go through these pictures. I'll tell you right now, some of you it's going to offend some of you. Like some of you are going to be offended by some of these pictures. And I would say, sit in that. Wrestle with that. Just because you feel offended doesn't mean something wrong is happening. It might be something being revealed in your heart. Okay, so uh, let's go to the first picture. I'm going to kind of stand to the side so you guys can see all of this better. This is Jesus washing a homeless man's feet. This is Jesus washing a homeless. Man's feet. I, I don't think uh, any of us would like, feel scandalized by this, but my kind of question as we look at this picture of Jesus washing the homeless man's feet is, is any of us relationally close enough to a homeless man where he would let us wash his feet? Or whatever the culturally equivalent version of loving that homeless man would be. Is anybody like that in our midst? Is our body like that? I don't know. You could go to the next picture. What about a prisoner's feet? Kind of the same question. Are, are we close enough to the prisoner? Matthew 25 makes a, like a loud call to care for the prisoner as the people of God. And, and so much so that whatever we do for the prisoner, we are doing for Jesus. Are we close enough to the prisoner? Uh, go to the next picture. This picture the artist specifically drew to, to represent people of color. She was kind of going like, do we love those of minority groups in our church as well? Are we close enough to stoop down low and wash their feet? Are we, church? The next picture, I just love this picture. It probably doesn't scandalize any of us. But it just shows the heart of Jesus, and so I wanted to make sure to keep it in there. Here we have Jesus washing a toddler's feet. As the toddler pulls on his beard, and Jesus just keeps washing his feet. I just feel like this artist did a good job just depicting the tenderness of Jesus in that moment. Do we tenderly wash feet? Or do we kind of force scrub people? Do we tenderly love people? Would he force love people in obtrusive mean ways? Sometimes love does intrude, but probably not in an obtrusive way way this is Jesus washing a toddler's feet. Do we even wash the toddler's feet among us? Do we even view them as feet worthy to be washed in our midst? Okay, the scandal is going to come up here, especially in these next few pictures, okay? You can go to the next one. Okay, this is someone who in our culture right now would probably be labeled as an anti-vaxxer. She has a no-vax mandates sign that she was probably at a protest with, saying, hey, very explicit. She probably didn't get vaccinated herself. My question for you is, would you wash that person's feet? Half the room is probably going, heck, yeah, I would. And the other half of the room is probably going, well, if they got vaccinated, I would. (laughs) Would you wash this person's feet? Or To be fair, you could go to the next one. This is someone who's very much pro-vaccines. This person's pro-vaccine mandates were signed. Uh, talks about vaccines saving lives and all this kind of stuff. Again, I ask the question: Would you wash this person's feet? I think half the room would say, "Heck yes," and the other half would say, "No way." And and maybe you would say, I've washed both of their feet. But my question to you then is, is there a relational closeness for you with someone that's an anti-vaxxer, someone that's very much pro-vaxx? Something to think about. Are you close enough to wash their feet? Okay, you could go to the next one. This is a gay man who's holding a rainbow pride flag, who's probably at a pride festival, according to the artist, I believe. Would we wash a gay man's feet? Are any of us close enough to those that that would consider themselves in the LGBTQIA plus community in, in order to wash their feet? Would they even let us? Has too much damage been done by the church that we can't even move in close to those in that community? I think Jesus washed their feet. You could go to the next one. What about Trump's feet? Do you think Jesus would wash Trump's feet? Would you wash President Trump's, former President Trump's feet? You could go to the next one. What about Biden? Would you wash Biden's feet? These two pictures, what I want to display in us is: is there a relational closeness to you and the Republicans in our society to where you would serve them and lower yourself and dirty yourself in order to love them? And then, is there, or is there, a relational closeness between you and the Democrats in society to where you would lower yourself, get down, get dirty in order, in order to serve and love the Democrats of? society again I feel like half the room heck yeah half the room no probably not and I show those pictures not to get political but to go look this it, this represents our society in some way are we getting in low to love everyone are we willing to wash everybody's feet do we even have relational closeness with people who are ideologically different than us you can go to the last picture The last picture actually has a a prostitute washing Jesus' feet, which I think kind of this picture scandalizes me for a minute. I go, no, 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 Jesus washes our feet. And then I remember there's at least one or two stories. It's a debate if it's two different stories. But there's at least one or two stories in the Gospels where a woman of ill repute who was more than likely a prostitute in one of the instances washes Jesus' feet and anoints his feet is there a relational closeness with us in the holy way that Jesus is close to this prostitute here with prostitutes, with those in society at that level? Is there? I don't know. But what I do know is we're called to be footwashers, that's what we're called to, church. Now, I'm not saying that any one of you has to go out and you have to find all these different kinds of people and make sure you're washing their feet. I'm just saying I think that we as a local church, as however 150 of us or however many are in here, I, we together should be the hands of Jesus washing all of those people's kinds of feet. Not just some of those kinds of people, but all of those kinds of people. Individually, we can't do it on our own. We can't wash all of those people's feet, probably from time's sake. But we can definitely try, and we can definitely let that be of value. And we, as the body of Christ, we, as the hands of Jesus, can be foot washers together and touch all of those sorts of people's lives. We can. Amen, indeed. I think it's worth pressing into if we're footwashers. If some of those pictures you go, this is not the cultural equivalent to what Jesus was doing in John 13. Sure, maybe. But I just want to remind you, Jesus washed Judas's feet too. And again, that might not be the equivalent either, but it's pretty close. If not the equivalent. Church, we are foot washers. That's who we are. Are we going out into the world and washing all sorts of people's feet? This is what Jesus said. Love like I've loved you. Jesus has washed our feet. Now we go out and we wash their feet. If there are some you're not willing to wash their feet, I really want you to wrestle with that. If some of you are bristling at some of the pictures you're seeing, I want you to wrestle with that. Identify the bristle. Instead of take it out on me in an email later, just wrestle with it for a few minutes. (laughs) And go, why am I bristling? Could it be that you might be a little bit more like a Pharisee than you'd care to admit? Jesus has loved us in this way. We see it in the Gospels. By his coming to earth, by his death on the cross, by his resurrection, we see his great love for us. Will we respond to the love we received from Jesus by loving in the same way? Will we become feet washers? Will we do the work of feet washing together? I hope so. I really. I also want to say, I've been very encouraged by you guys. I think you do want to step into this. I think you have stepped into this. And I think, actually, if we went through those 10 pictures, we probably more than likely would find somebody washing all of those kinds of people's feet. Probably not the president specifically, but all of the kind of People, those pictures represent. And so I'm thankful for you, church, but I think we can go deeper still. I think we can go deeper still. And so let's become footwashers in the way that Jesus is a footwasher. So I've loved, I've loved going through the Gospel of John with you guys. I've loved watching what it's done to us, how it's shaped us, how it's changed us, how it's given us a bigger vision for Jesus and who he is. It's such a beautiful picture of Jesus, his life. His death, his resurrection. I've loved it. I'm going to miss being in the Gospel of John. I encourage you guys, keep reading this book over the course of your lives many times. Don't let Sundays be the only place you encounter God's word or the Gospel of John in particular. So now, may we follow him with the totality of our lives. May we see that he is life. And may we become feet washers like Jesus was a feet washer, a foot washer. Amen, church? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel of John. What, What a beautiful journey we just went on together as a church through this book over the last almost two years now. God, I, I pray all those things. Help us to follow you in real time, in real life. Even though you're not right here in front of us, help us to follow you. God, I pray that I, I pray again. Please let us find this life in you. You say all these things about yourself, God, and I, 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 and many of us have found those things in you. But there are some of us that want those things but feel like they haven't found them. So God, would you have mercy? Would you comfort? Would you help us to see those things about you? You have the life, God. Please give us that life. We can't get life on our own. We need you. And God, help us to become foot washers. Help us to wash the world's feet. Help us to be able to move in close to all of those kinds of people and even more. God, for those of us that might have been scandalized or bristling at that, God, will you do a work and help us to understand our own bristling and guide us into what you want to guide us into? God, we need your Holy Spirit if we're going to love that way. We need to be reminded by your Holy Spirit that you have loved us that way. And then we can operate out of that love, loving the world. God, we love you and we need you. Amen.